Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Good luck with your career, honey. Fucking bitch. Excuse me, did you have something else to say? Yeah. So cool they let you move into a cheesecake factory. Is that where you wait tables? That seems like a better fit. I'd rather sling bang bang chicken and shrimp all day than work here, you classist monster. Conversations about collaboration, episode 54. Nick Yovakini joins me. He is the co-founder and CEO of Kettle. The company makes software that enables hybrid work. We talk about the formation of his company, the difficulty of scheduling employees, the potential savings of hybrid work, Uber, and transparency. Let's get it on. Nick, where does this pod find you? Hey, I'm in Sleepy Hollow, New York, Halloween capital of the world, surviving post-Halloween. Yeah, it's spooky. Tell me a little about the story of, of Kettle, because I, I find it an interesting, to use the Silicon Valley vernacular, pivot. Yeah, well, it's definitely a, a story of at least three chapters, um, pre, during, and hopefully post-COVID. Um, Pre-COVID, we were a asset light workspace company with the vision of converting hotels, restaurants, and other underutilized retail assets into workspaces. So somewhere in between Starbucks and and WeWork, kind of at the price point of a Starbucks, but more of a curated choose your own adventure of a WeWork and at the same time helping local businesses monetize their space differently. Uh, That was going great until it wasn't. Uh, When COVID hit New York City, we we lost our business overnight effectively. We had um, several thousand paying members, about 20 locations at the time and sort of good growth, but um, we were we were hit pretty hard here. And we were fortunate to have good continuity planning and, and strong investor support that allowed us to not die um, effectively. So we compressed our business and that that became the that began the chapter of the kind of during COVID. So during COVID, you know, having had a workspace business and people in space is the thing that's legally prohibited, we had to kind of think about everything sort of with a fresh perspective on how how to make lemonade, I guess, effectively. So we um, we started talking to as many people in leadership positions across all different companies who would talk to us. I personally had more than 1,500 of those conversations. And um, the conversation was really, what's keeping you up at night? What are you thinking about Return to the office? What's your leadership team saying and thinking? What What are your employees and your teammates saying and thinking? We're talking people in the HR function, people in the tech function, facilities, real estate, C-suite, kind of everybody. And it was was fascinating to have those conversations, but through several hundred of them, get kind of pattern recognition at some point there that um, there's some, some real permanent change coming on the other side of COVID. And through the course of the last year and a half, it became clear to us that the future for many, many, many companies was going to be hybrid and the kind of construct of going to the office five days a week has sort of been decimated for a lot of folks. But how do you put that back together and what kind of tools and what kind of planning and communications and and thought is required to rebuild a new model that's successful? And that that's what we call hybrid is kind of putting those pieces back together. So. Um, 
we recently launched a, a new software system platform that we've created kind of from, from the ground up to address a lot of these new complexities and try to distill them down into simple solutions. So that's the, the post-COVID chapter. Yeah, I find it fascinating because if I go back a million years ago to when I was in college, learned about optimization tools and algorithms. And even though back then no one really brought a laptop to class, and these days you can punch things into Excel or more sophisticated programs, I think about hybrid work as an optimization problem. Jump in if you disagree. But So we've got a certain number of desks, a certain number of employees, but not everyone needs to be there on every day. So you could argue that for all of its warts, asses in seats, nine to five, Monday through Friday, long hellish commutes in your neck of the woods and in others, say what you will about it, at least the planning wasn't all that complicated. Well, now it's better for workers in the sense that come in two days a week, but it's certainly more challenging. And I like to think that I know a thing or six about enterprise tech. The existing tools, to my knowledge, don't fulfill that need. Am I wrong? I don't know. I don't think you're wrong, except for except for Kettle OS, which is the platform we launched. Um, you know, uh, I'm saying prior prior to that, yes. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. The, part of the challenge is is it's not one thing. It's part people. It's part space. Part facilities. Part tech. And when you zoom out, there are a lot of there are a lot of complexities that that old understood construct supported. It supported for many companies the definition of productivity. It supported culture and connection because people were together physically. It supported installation of values and mentorship and kind of some of those other things. So when that goes away and it has to be, and all of those things need to get solved for, including scheduling and transparency and all of the communications piece, it sort of has to be put back together holistically. And I think part of the reason that there's not a lot of technology out there to to do that in a fully coordinated fashion right now is because a lot of the technology that it existed pre-COVID was really focused on one of those things. Like this is just for people, this is just for space management. But the reality is like all of those things need to come back together in harmony. So it, it requires kind of a different point of view on on how to, I don't know, how to stitch together the, the right problem sets. Yeah, that's one of the themes that's come up on quite a few episodes of my little pod. Who owns this stuff, right? You historically would have said if it were performance management, well, HR tends to own that type of thing, right? Or if it's rolling out a new system, they say, oh, that's IT's job. Uh, even though, as I know from banging my head against the wall for a decade, um, it isn't just the IT department's responsibility. So uh, when you had these interviews with folks thinking about the future of kettle space and where you could fit in and solve what I would argue is a a boring but imperative problem, right? I mean, figuring out who needs to be where may not be the sexiest thing in the world, but without it, I don't see how a company is productive. Um, What were some of the themes that emerged around around ownership? It's a really insightful question. Um, I'm an insightful guy. A lot of companies have assembled task forces to deal with it so that you have each important stakeholder represented in the equation. Something that looks like someone from HR, someone from tax, someone from facilities, real estate, if that's if that's a supported function in an organization. Um, and then depending with large organizations, you've got risk management, you've got kind of 
uh, the health and compliance piece that's also now integrated into all of this as we think about returning to office. Those little subcommittees with kind of reusing the equation. The thing interesting that's come out in the last couple of weeks that we're really excited about is Andy Jassy's announcement at Amazon that, uh, which was really one of the first leadership announcements that was pretty well received by not only the media, but just the people, the thought leaders that are around the, these problem sets was that he's pushing those decisions of how to go hybrid to the team lead level. And we think, you know, our software enables that. So we're excited about that announcement, but we also think that it, we had, we've heard that that's one of the kind of prevailing models that are going to come because the C-suite might say, Hey, look, we're committed to flexibility. We know we need to retain and attract talent. We know that we need to kind of rebalance the equilibrium here, but we don't know what the, the differences between the marketing team and the tech team really are, but the leaders of those teams do. And, and it's kind of up to them to figure out what their flavor of, of hybrid scheduling and policies were going to be. And so that, that I think will be an interesting development to watch. Yeah, I can also see the downside of decentralization so if you've got a task force of a bunch of people, and let's say the operations folks or the facilities or real estate folks say, yeah, we need to use a tool like Kettle Space, I'll put on my cranky HR manager hat for a sec. And in my experience, HR folks aren't the most tech savvy folks in the world. They're, well, I don't feel like using this. We'll just use a spreadsheet or something. And then as a result, you can't track things at an organizational level, right? Which would, I think, encumber because it's not, you don't have an HR building necessarily, right? It's company X's building. And in how many spaces today or this week do we allocate towards the benefits folks or the payroll folks or whatever? I mean, I I can see the benefit of decentralization, but if someone's not playing well, like any sort of network effect, wouldn't it suffer if some department or some key people aren't on board? Yeah. I mean, I think there's two major themes at play in that in that question. And one is, you got to build a product that improves the the day to day lives of the end of the end users, because if if they don't enjoy and get value from using the product, then they're not going to use the product. And then if there's not adoption by the end user, uh, then doesn't matter. Nothing really matters. And we really think about that as hybrid introducing turbulence. I'm in the office today, not tomorrow. It's confusing. I have different morning routines. Just kind of the psychological turbulence that goes along with that and sort of creating calmness and simplicity for the end user. And also we've learned that people really care about where their people are. It's not about reserving a desk. Like that's not fun. That doesn't give anybody purpose, but connecting with a colleague or a teammate or, or doing these synchronous activities that, you know, unlock our best creative work. Those are the things that excite people about being in the office. So in, in building really a end user first point of view and product, you get the adoption and then you also through the adoption you start to get the data and really the data in this in this progression over the next decade is going to be really important because you've got all these new complexities all this change and and there's really no playbook for anybody in any of it so the only way to go at this is sort of test and learn and, and iteration through data collection so i think having that centralized tool and data collection methodology out of the gate is going to really help people even nobody's going to get it right out you know day one it's just impossible but if you're gathering data and you have good feedback loops quantitative and qualitative 
should be able to effectively right size it all over time. I think about if I put on my employee hat, going into an office, knowing that the things that I needed to do that day would be awesome, right? And much better suited for in-person communication, collaboration, whatever, Um, versus staying at home going, yeah, I needed to do whatever today. It was more um, deep work. I didn't, you know, I answered a few messages, took maybe a couple of Zoom calls or whatever, but I, I didn't need to be in the office. So I'm with you that the opportunity is massive. And then I also, if I put on a different hat, my, my data geek hat, and if everyone used, and I love Slack or Microsoft Teams, if everyone just put in messages, yeah, I'm not going to be in today, I'm going to be in today, quickly that would devolve into chaos, Yeah. right? Who, who's going to be here when? Uh, and even something like a form or a Google Sheet or you know, even something like Airtable, which I've messed around with, I, I see that as potentially useful. But for me, I would want a dedicated tool if I was CEO okay, who's in on particular days, what days make the most sense, because that's going to have a bottom line impact, right? If I'm renting 100,000 square feet of office space and at my peak days, it's like it's like cloud computing, right? Why do I need yeah. 200 servers when in reality, I, I only need 80 or at max rate, I need 90. So I, the efficiency is there, um, but I can see some people resisting change just because that's how people are. Um, but I guess if there's a big enough opportunity, you don't have to stick the landing with every one of them. And I'm unaware of existing tools that do this type of thing. Yeah, well, the cloud computing analogy we use internally a lot. It, it's really how I think the world will begin to think about built space and utilization of built space. Because the the genesis for my co-founder, Dan, starting this company was around this concept of we've got all this underutilized space like a restaurant, which is only monetizing for four hours a day, but is paying, you know, a, a retail rents and, you know, is effectively utilized less than a quarter of the time. And I think all built space will ultimately become much more efficient through technology and tooling and data. And um, one of the components of our technology, sort of, I guess you would call it ethos, is that everything is configurable. So whether it's a people policy or a space policy, having the ability to change a, the use of a space, I mean, everything short of moving the furniture, the hours of operation and what can be used. You know, you take a room, a room can be used as a yoga studio from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. And then from 10 to 5, it's a, a conference room. And then from 5 to you know 11 o'clock at night, it could be a co-working location in a neighborhood. So the ability to use technology to increase flexibility and kind of put built space to its highest and best use, I think is going to be a byproduct of, of a lot of this change. Yeah. The analogy that I keep thinking of apart from cloud computing is something like Uber, right? I've heard statistics that the average car remains unused 92% out of the day, right? So, or, or car sharing or ride sharing, or even, I know there were some startups in the Phoenix area, I think in San Francisco as well, that tried to figure out ways to use people's driveways, right? You don't need it during the day you're at work and searching in the city for parking or paying whatever, 35 bucks for four hours. That doesn't make any sense. So, uh, I mean, the efficiency benefits to me are, are pretty damn impressive. And when I think about tech and data, you know, the, the ability to, as you said, configure a room, maybe it's not the world's best yoga studio, but it's good enough. 
I agree with you. I mean, it's, I, I guess there might be some zoning concerns in certain areas, right? The coffee shop may not be zoned for you know, proper working, but I would think that if the alternative for a city official is losing the tenant and the tax revenue, they'll play ball, right? Yeah. I mean, if you take that line of thinking all the way out and you zoom out to just office for a moment and you go, okay, I forget if we ran through this when we talked, but you've got a billion knowledge-based workers pre-COVID that were working from offices, carrying that cost per employee per year is like five grand, you know, between leases, furniture, utilities, all that stuff to get even commuting and where people spend their money. And it, let's just say that the conclusion of hybrid, that's a $5 trillion stack of traditional transactions that was pretty just not questioned for the most part pre-COVID. If the conclusion is everybody stays at home one day or two days a week, that's one to $2 trillion of traditional transactions, which are going to go in different directions. Whether that means, like me, I, I love to eat salad. So every, I used to commute in the city five days a week, buy a an overpriced $15 salad, ridiculous, you know, in somewhere near one of our locations in the city and whatever, that's 70 bucks. And now I buy groceries and make my own salad at home or I order from a local place and I live in the burbs. So just those transactions alone have gone, have followed me to approximate to where I work. Um, And I think that's going to be a really massive tidal wave of change coming through this. Yeah, I see things moving away from one size fits all to a much more custom environment. And when you're talking about salads, I remember back in, I think it was 2002, I was working in Manhattan, I was living in Jersey. And even back then, you know, things were expensive in Manhattan. So I remember getting, I don't know, a sandwich and a bottle of water and maybe a cup of soup, it was $15. Now I'm working as a consultant billing at the time, I don't know, a buck 75 an hour. And uh, my management, I was working for a consulting company at the time came back to me and um, rejected my expense. What are, you, what are you talking about? This is lunch in Manhattan. Here's the receipt, right? And it was, well, our policy is we're not going to pay more. I'm just going, dude, really? I mean, I'm making you guys, what, you know, $1,600 a day, and you want me to drink out of the tap because you're not going to cover the water. But I, I, in hindsight, kind of understand it because it's easier to apply um, a unilateral policy um, even though that policy may not it, look in Nebraska, right? Maybe you would really have to try to spend more than 10 bucks for lunch back then. But I, in a way, I kind of understand how it's more difficult for people to make intelligent decisions based on all of these different factors, even though to me, it's not exactly rocket surgery that, hey, things cost more in Manhattan. And that includes a roast beef sandwich. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you're going to start even with labor is another good example. Like we're starting to see people keep their jobs, but move. And that, that conversation is becoming more and more relevant. Do if I live in Idaho and I move from San Francisco to Idaho, do I still get San Francisco salary on Idaho living expense? Yeah, did you see Zillow a couple of weeks ago said that location was not going to be a primary factor in what they paid you really? and the, the implications for, compensation as a former HR person. I mean, I remember looking at salary data in 1996 and thinking it was an error because a secretary in Hawaii would make 55 grand a year. And back then that was obviously a lot more than it is today. And said, no, no, no. Try to, have you been to Hawaii? I said, no, 
<laughs> I mean, try to buy a gallon of milk in Hawaii and you'll see why everyone makes you know, yeah. 30 or 40% more. So I, mean, I agree. So much is up in the air, but uh, I, I don't see how you manage hybrid work. I mean, I would argue that in-person work is maybe not ideal, but relatively easy to manage and ditto for remote work. But even though hybrid work seems to be, and I've seen some surveys on this, people want to come in on average of two to three days per week, you know, making that happen. I don't see how it happens with existing tech. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's the cake and eat it two scenario and it's doable, <clears throat> but it requires a smart tool in the middle of it. And I think it also requires, so we've started meeting with and talking to different kind of consulting, <clears throat> consulting groups, coaching groups that are all focusing on the prescriptive ways to, to set up the schedule and who needs to be with whom. And I think, you know, the perfect alignment of resources is someone like that who has a process to, to, you know, take frameworks, trusted and, and tested frameworks into how do we, you know, how do we do this? A technology implementation tool to operationalize it and get data. And then ultimately some people, whether they're internal or external resources, monitoring it to see how it's going and, and kind of twisting the screws and the, and the knobs to make it better. And I think like it's that sort of alignment of approach that um, I think is the winning combination. And then you need a leadership team that's taking a transparent kind of honest approach of saying, hey, we don't have all the answers, like, but we know that we're going to reconfigure this together and it's going to be a process. Let's work together. And I think that leaders that take that type of approach have the best chance of of keeping, you know, <coughs> sorry, man. <clears throat> can't make everybody happy here. Like it's almost impossible because people have different personal preferences. You could have the same two people in the exact same role in the exact same department. One wants to be in the office every day. The other wants to be at home. Sure. Um, yeah. So you, nobody's going to nail it and it's not going to be perfect, but I think having a tool in the middle of it kind of as air traffic control and a way to sort of connect all of these priorities and problems is, is definitely the right way to go. Yeah. You make a couple of interesting points. First, I didn't realize in my, I don't know, early career, the complexity of scheduling folks until I started working with ERP systems. And I remember some of the hospitals had a legacy payroll system. They were implementing an ERP, but they were going to keep a system like Kronos. And why do we need Kronos if we're using you know, whatever Lawson or PeopleSoft or Oracle for payroll? I goes, and people would say, you don't know much about scheduling, do you? I said, not really, no. And then they'd show me some of these complex matrices they had just to schedule people and then to pay them. I mean, I remember working on one consulting gig for four months at a hospital because they did overtime wrong and figuring out the very simple answer to the question, what is the difference between what they got paid, right? And what they should have been paid took me about four months. <laughs> um, so that wasn't easy. And then talk to me a little bit about if you've gotten to this point, um, maybe some integration with whether it's Teams or um, ERP systems or Slack, because I can see, again, devil's advocate here, how if I'm an employee, the last thing I want to do is have to enter my schedule or preferences in seven different places, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, integrations are what we're working on right now, working on <clears throat> GCAL, Outlook, Workday, and um we completed our first integration a couple of weeks ago with a, a, va a vaccine verification and health compliance platform. So that's nice. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, super timely. I guess just this morning, the the mandate and legislation moved a step closer, got through the White House. So it's becoming clear that, yeah, nobody wants another click. Nobody wants another system. Our system's not endeavoring to be the source of truth. We're just trying to kind of play nice with with what's already been adopted and make it easy for people to leverage what we leverage our competencies, but rely on, you know, incumbent communication tools, scheduling tools, calendars, et cetera. Yeah. Good stuff, Nick. We'll get you out of here on this. What book are you currently reading? Uh, I'm, I just read Traction, not the, not the Geno Wickman Traction, not the EOS Traction, although I've read that Traction too. Um, just, uh, you know, having gone through a major pivot where we went from mostly a consumer facing workspace company with the tech, with some tech to an enterprise software platform. Um, it's reminding me that I just need to be thinking about how to bring a product to market. And it's a, it's a great book. It's a good methodology for testing, uh, testing kind of go-to-market strategies. So recommend it. Good stuff, Nick. I enjoyed it. Thanks, man. This was fun. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.